All right, all right, what's up AFC? I hope everybody is doing well tonight. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt and I get to work with the college students here at UCC and Aggies for Christ. And um, I am so pumped that you guys are back from spring break. I was living vicariously through your, uh, through your social media and your spring break vacations. Um, those of you that were on the beach and those of you guys in the big cities, um, it looked awesome. I stayed here and held down cruises literally by myself. I'm pretty sure I was the only one here. If you've never been here during the summer or spring break, you can get down university in about two minutes and that's kind of neat. You don't have to wait for lines at Panda Express out the door. There's some, there's some real benefits, but to be honest, I'm, I'm really excited you guys are back. Um, just a couple announcements about the church, um, our bigger church, UCC. There's some big things going on this weekend. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is a pretty exciting weekend in that it's Easter and Resurrection Sunday. So Friday night, we have something called a lament service. It's a good Friday service. Um, the service is titled The Broken Hallelujah. And so kind of talking about the death of Jesus, um, we're going to kind of worship God in our pain a little bit. Something kind of, kind of did with the cross earlier in the semester. Something we're going to do Friday night with the church as a whole. Sunday morning, uh, we're going to party. Our church has something special planned for Sunday morning. We have food and drink coming. We have party hats. We have a real. We have a photo booth that we're setting up. It's going to be a real fun kind of celebration type of um, atmosphere. So if you never invited somebody, um, Sunday's a great time to bring somebody to this. It's going to be a real, a real fun Sunday. As far as we go, uh, students, people that work with students, there's six weeks left of school. We're kind of on this home stretch. We only have that's counting finals week. We only have about five AFCs left. And summer vacation is the goal. For some of you, graduation is the goal. For others in the room, yeah, there you go. For others in the room, existing between now and when you lay your head on the pillow tonight is pretty much the only goal um, that we have going. Um, <laughs> wasn't expecting amens for that. We'll take it. Um, maybe not after you hear this statistic I want to talk about. In 1979, Harvard, um, Harvard School of Business did this study, and they t it was about goals. It was about goal setting and writing down your goals. They took the whole graduating class of 1979, they asked them, they said, how many of you have goals? How many of you write them down or do you not have any? There's three different groups. Um, only 3% of the whole entire uh, Harvard graduating class had written down solid goals. Another 84% said they had them, but they were just in their heads. And um, whatever percentage is left had no goals at all. That's not doing math on stage, it's kind of tough. but. Um, so what they did is they tracked it, and then 10 years later, they went back and they asked everybody, they said, well, you know, how are you doing in life? The 3% that had goals and had written down their goals were making, on average, 10 times that of the 97 percentile that did nothing or that didn't write any down. Even if they had made their goals, if they didn't write them down, they weren't in that percentage that was making that much more than everybody else. Long story short, from a source that I hope you can trust in Harvard Business, goals, but more importantly, putting pen to paper is an important thing. Now, why is it important to us tonight? You came to church, you came to hear about the Bible, and um, before spring break, I told you that we're going to be starting a series on Joshua, and it's probably one of my favorite characters in the, in the Bible, but to set up Joshua, you got to set up who Joshua was. Joshua was the assistant to Moses, and Moses was probably the best example in the Bible of somebody who took pen to paper or ink to papyrus or stone, or I don't really know what it was, but he's the best example of somebody who wrote down uh, promises, goals, laws, um, how to do things according to God's will for the best success. You know, in my life, as my, as my faith has kind of developed, I've started writing down less, less goals and things I want and monetary value and houses and stuff like that, and I've started doing things more like writing down God's promises. I've written down a lot more of those in the past couple of years of my life. I've tattooed some to my body um, just to remember the thing that God has done 
in my life. The most important promise that, that God made to the nation of Israel, or God's people, he said, he said, you're gonna be my, he said, you're gonna be my people, and I'm gonna be your God, and I'm gonna give you a promised land. Uh, but we're talking about Joshua, right? This is promises that were made to Moses. So why is this important? It's because although these promises were made to Moses, Moses wasn't the one that was going to lead the people into the promised land. That job was for Joshua. That job was for Joshua. For those of you who don't know the, the Bible very well, just continuing to set up who Moses is, um, if we were to rank Bible characters, um, we're probably going to put Jesus at number one. I think that'd be a safe bet. But in a very close number two, because of his faithfulness and his relationship with God, it'd be Moses. It would be Moses. Even in the New Testament, Moses is still praised for his faithfulness. And Joshua has to fill these shoes. It's a big, big task at hand. I'll try to um, put into examples of who, um, how big these shoes might have been. I'm not going to do it justice, but I'm going to try. On this next slide right here, we have a picture. Does anybody know who that man is right there? I know there's some basketball fans in the room. I'm one of the biggest. Mr. Larry Hawkins is a basketball fan back there, but I bet he has no clue who this is. And I didn't before today either. This is a man named Corey Benjamin. He was the, uh, the first-round draft pick of the Bulls after Michael Jordan retired. Didn't exactly live up. He had some big shoes to fill. Next picture. Does anybody know who this is? You can shout it out if you think you know. Okay. This is the president that followed up. Abraham Lincoln. This is Andrew Johnson who followed up Abraham Lincoln, who in my humble opinion is the best president that ever walked our nation's grounds, but that's just my opinion. But the point of the matter is, is you didn't know who that is. Maybe a little more relevant of example. Oh, who's going to fill in for Lane? Or, I'm just kidding. I know his name's Zane. <laughs> Social media and how hard my girlfriend took this news. I know his name's Zane, and that filling in for, uh, for One Direction is going to be some pretty big shoes to fill. It was tough. Moses was a, maybe we can go back to the title slide so the girls can focus. Appreciate that. The point is, what I'm trying to make is that, uh, that Joshua had some big shoes to fill, some really big shoes to fill, but his story didn't start in the book that was named after him. His, his name first comes up in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, and he is listed as, as we've already said, Moses' assistant. Secondly, he's somewhat of a military leader. The first, one of the first battles that Israel has to fight as a nation, Joshua is actually at the head of it. And then third, he is commissioned as a spy, who's one of the, one of the faithful spies that spied out the promised land. That was, that was Joshua. He had a lot of responsibilities, um, not just somewhat of a secretary. He was nowhere near a secretary. God knew that Joshua was going to be the one taking over, so he had some um, preliminary things that he was going to do before that. He starts preparing him for these, these tasks early in his life. If you all have your Bible tonight, or if you have your Bible app, we are going to be in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. We're going to be there um, for most of the night, and we, I have it on the screen, too. Um, to kind of set up what I'm about to read, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It comes after the book of Deuteronomy. In the last chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. So when we pick up in Joshua 1, this is Joshua's very first time as the leader of Israel. I'll start reading. Verse 1, chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there because I think there's a very important word that I've um, bolded and underlined. Um, the word arise. 
The posture of Joshua, probably like the posture of the rest of the nation of Israel, was probably one of mourning. They were probably so crushed that, that Moses was no longer with them. A faithful leader that had done all these signs and wonders, they were probably in despair. Joshua might have been um, hands on his knees or maybe on his knees or maybe on his face mourning the loss. You know, the questions I must have ran through his head like, man, how, how am I going to fill in for Moses? How am I going to lead this, this stubborn people into this next season of life for them? Who the heck am I? Well, we see that Joshua is God's chosen. We'll keep reading. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. We'll stop there. I will not leave you or forsake you. Why is this an important command that God makes Joshua? Why is it an important command to us? It's because Joshua has been around and seen the people mess up royally. Joshua was around when the, the miracles and the plagues and how they got out of Egypt. Joshua was around when the manna came from heaven and God's people were fed. And yet he sees these people continue to mess up. So Joshua is going to take over this people that even Moses couldn't lead into the promised land. And he's probably thinking to himself, well, like, man, if Moses is going to do it, how am I going to do it? He's going to do it with God. The promise is, I'm here, Joshua. I'm with you, and I'm not going anywhere. It's a promise that I know that I need to hear today, because if I'm being completely honest with myself, I'm being completely honest with you, I'm stubborn too. I keep sinning too against a God that has done so much for me, and I have idols in my life. And at the same point in time, I don't want him to leave me. I don't want him to not go with me into the next season of my life. When we read about God's people in the wilderness as they um, approach the next season of life for them, it's easy to be like, wow, like these people are so stupid. They see these miracles, they see these signs, they see these wonders, and yet they rebel. And then I look at my life, and I see the thing that God's done in my heart. I've seen the, thing, the countless times the hearts in this ministry have been changed. I've been to third world countries and seen, and seen the church do amazing things for people. I've seen great, awesome things, and yet I keep messing up too. So that's why the promise for Joshua then, like the promise for us now, I will not leave you or forsake you, is extremely encouraging because we can be stupid. We can be stupid. Joshua, to this point in his life, had always been kind of known as Moses' assistant. Now he had these responsibilities and he um, had done some of these things on his own, but for the next season of life, the burdens and the responsibilities were about to get immensely greater. Now I'm sitting here and I'm looking at a room of people. Now most of you, you all of us, are either in the next season of adulthood or right there on the cusp of it, where our burdens and our responsibilities are about to get greater. And you know I love love college ministry for a couple reasons, for that, that being one of them. It's this, it's this turning point in our life where we get to start making some decisions on our own. What major do I want? What classes do I want to take? Or do I want to declare a major? Or do I want to go to class? Do I, uh, is Taco Bell at 3 o'clock in the morning a good idea? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, that's up to you. These are decisions. Another amen from the front row. That's great. 
these are decisions, just beyond general decision-making, there's some bigger things going on here too. Am I going to follow the faith of the household that I was raised in? Am I going to do some self-seeking? It's, re- it's really an exciting time. And it's a time where we're kind of trying to figure out exactly what it is we were made to be. Now, I've seen this done successfully. I've seen first-semester freshmen walk into this ministry, get plugged in, join a small group, go to prayer meetings, and have a great uh, college experience. Um, That was not my story. And that was not the story of a young man I had coffee with um, over spring break. No one was here, like I said, so we had a couple hours to kick it around. Now, I knew this kid in high school. This kid was a, a fantastic athlete. He was a leader of the student body. He was involved in a lot of extracurricular activities. He was, um, he was looked up to by his peers. He had a lot of purpose. He had a lot of, he had a lot of drive. And he sits across from me at this coffee table, and he says, uh, and he kind of has this blank, empty look. And he says, you know, it's not, uh, it's not where I'm at right now. I don't have to work right now. Uh, I don't have much going on as far as extracurriculars. I'm not a leader in the ministry. Uh, I, I'm in school, but I kind of procrastinate a little bit. I'm just trying to figure out exactly what it is I'm supposed to be doing. I kind of lost a little bit of purpose. That's what this kid was going through. Well, I told him, and when I then preached to myself, and then what I'm trying to relay tonight, as brash as it sounds, laziness doesn't look good on us. As a group of individuals on the cusp of adulthood, laziness does not look good on us. Don't get me wrong, society has a lot to blame in this. Society is painting this picture of what college is supposed to look like. Um, I know when I was getting, I was gearing up to head over here, it was a picture kind of like the next slide. Yeah, the one from old school, Will Ferrell. (laughs) I had this idea like, that's that's college, that's what's being painted for me. And society's told you that for the first two years of college, you're going to pretty much repeat what you did in the last four years of high school. You have, all the, you have all the capacities and the capabilities and the potential of an adult in this body right now, but you're given none of the responsibility. It's not altogether all fa- our fault. It's something we've kind of been um, pressed into by being born in this country. But my point is, is I believe that the Bible has given us a very clear view of what men of God and women of God look like as they approach adulthood. Now, I know nights like this exist. I've been around the block. I was at nights like that. I also know that's not even a sliver of the picture. I know that there's pictures of my college experience, failed relationships because I'm living in sin, nights where uh, I wasn't sure about my major, my purpose in life, Nights where I'd stare, lay in my bed and stare at the ceiling and wonder, what the heck am I here for? That would be a more accurate picture of the college life that's painted. Now, there's nights like that. I get it. But the Bible has set aside a set of examples of exactly how we're supposed to approach this next season of our life, even if it's just college or even if we're headed into adulthood. The command for this new season of life, as daunting as it may sound, is be strong and be courageous. We're going to pick it up in verse 6 again. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left, that you may have good success 
wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to it, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here's the coffee cup verse everybody likes. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If we were just to look at the Bible as a piece of literature and just analyze it from looking at what we, little we know about grammar, if an author repeats itself once, twice, three times, we know that that might be really, 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 really important. I'll see what I did with the really, so I was playing on this awful preacher joke. That's okay. Um, obviously, God found it very important to remind Joshua three times in three verses, be strong and be courageous. This isn't the only time. Uh, the next slide, we have um, verses from the, the, uh, a couple verses in the Old Testament before Joshua in Numbers. Be of good courage. In Deuteronomy, be strong and courageous. And again, Joshua is told again, be strong and courageous, this time from Moses. That's three times before these verses that we just read. And as we move through the book of Joshua the rest of the semester, we'll see God does it three more times again. He keeps beating this idea, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. He is beating it into Joshua's head. If you'll... uh, if you read the story, the story of Joshua from his first couple mentions in the book of Exodus to his taking over the people um, in the book of Joshua, you'll see that the decision for him to be a leader wasn't exactly, uh, wasn't exactly a discussion between him and God. There wasn't much kickback from God. The, de- the decision for Moses to be the leader wasn't exactly a discussion either. As a matter of fact, Moses tried. Moses had this awful speech impediment, right? Moses could not public speak. And he told God one time, he said, man, I have this awful impediment. Why don't you pick somebody like Aaron who, has, who speaks better? He would be a much better leader for the people of Israel. God gets kind of angry at that. He kind of steps up to Moses. He says, you think I made a mistake when I made your mouth? You think I made a mistake when I chose you to lead this nation? God makes no mistakes. He doesn't make no junk. Sometimes God makes us grow up quicker than, we re- than we're ready, we feel like. I had a friend named um, Jason in high school, and Jason was an extremely talented individual. He was um, extremely athletic. He was good-looking. He came from a great household. Uh, he was likable. He was funny. Um, but in a small town, when you're a big shot, sometimes a lifestyle can get to you. Um, he also loved party. He loved girls. He loved drinking. He loved drugs. One night I thought at a lake party, I thought we had lost him. He had done some of the hardest drugs I've ever seen and woke up the next morning. Um, He was awake, but he couldn't talk. I thought the kid was brain dead. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. Um, He recovers. He goes back home, um, and he gets a a girl pregnant. I thought for sure. I was like, it's a wrap for him. It's a wrap for him. He's going to be the one handing me my burgers through the drive-thru window for the rest of his life. But something happened. His son was born, he looked into the eyes of his kid, and almost instantaneously, something happens in his, in his heart, in his mind, in his, um, in his way of life, and he turns things around. He was with a different girl at the time, but he, uh, he made her his wife. He got her through nursing school. He, uh, he, moved to, he moved here to Cruces and started um, creating a better life for him and his family. He's co-parenting now. 
Like I said, I thought he was going to be the one that was selling me my burgers. This summer I bought a house and he was my loan officer at the bank. He's going to bring home six figures this year. And the change was like that. The responsibility that was put on his shoulders, the burden that was put on his shoulders like that made a huge impact. Sometimes God forces our hand a little sooner than we're ready. And being, the call to being courageous is the only option we have. And I'm not saying God's going to force your hand to that extent, but sometimes it's a slower process. And one thing that I can absolutely guarantee is that there's a season of change coming. If there's one thing we know, the one constant, is that there's change. As some of you know, uh, I was a high school basketball coach this year at Mesilla Valley here in Las Cruces. And I think we have our most recent team picture up here. There it is. There it is. Uh, won the state championship a couple weeks ago. We had a team that was 27-2, and two, except for a couple weeks at the beginning of the season. Uh, we were the number one team in the state throughout. We were the, uh, we were the number one team in the state tournament. Um, for all intents and purposes, uh, we were expected to win. It was our tournament to lose. We were uh, getting ready to head up to the state tournament. We were had about a week of practices out, and the, the man right there on the, on the right, he's an he's a assistant coach also and a preacher and, and, and godly man as well. And he was, he was addressing our team, and he was talking about the story that we're kind of talking about tonight. He's talking about uh, the Israelites inheriting the land and Joshua's leadership and whatnot. And he's, what he says is, um, the interesting thing about how God did this whole thing is even though he made this promise to the nation of Israel, they still had to go fight for it. They still had to go work for it. God says, yeah, here's this promised land, but I need you to take down ten kingdoms, divide the land, make the land your own. God put in some work. That's kind of what he addressed the team. He said, he said, I can see us with that blue trophy, with that state championship trophy now. I can see the medals being hung around our necks right now. I can see the promise that God has made it, but we have to go work for it. We have to be strong. We have to be courageous. And we did. And we won. The question tonight in closing is, are you ready to receive the promises that God has made you? Because he's with you, because he's not going to leave you, because he won't forsake you, your only job now is to take this responsibility, take these new burdens, take this, this, uh, this cut at the cusp of adulthood, take it, be strong, be courageous, pursue the cross daily, and pursue it boldly. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we see in, uh, we see in the story of Joshua a man that had some big shoes to fill. The responsibilities and the burdens that were placed on him are um, probably greater than any of us are going to see in our lifetime, but God, we can learn from this story that the promises you've made is that you won't leave us, you won't forsake us. You've given us the, uh, the promise to, and the command to be strong and to be courageous. And for that tonight, Lord, we're thankful. As we all move into this season of adulthood, as we move into this season where responsibilities grow and we're expected to be leaders of households and pay bills, God, I pray that, um, I pray that you will be with us in this daily fight. We rest on the promises that you've made us. We approach the cross boldly. In your son's name I pray. Amen.